Ooh, that was loud. Good morning. Welcome to Kahului Baptist Church. My name is Randy Pauley, and I am the pastor for preaching here. Is it sound echoey to you guys? It sounds okay. I just didn't know if that was in my brain or not. Um, all right, there it's coming. It's coming. All right. Uh, welcome, man. What a what a joyful time we have. The return of our children's camp, the return, our graduate Sunday, recognizing them, and truly, it kind of reminds us Sundays like these that we really are the family of God. We we rejoice with those who rejoice, and uh, we do want to take time to highlight that big accomplishment. And so, thank you, graduates, uh, Chris Robinson. Excellent. Thank you. You did excellent. That's exactly why I asked you to do it. Uh, so, good job. Thank you. The title of the sermon is False Teachers, Fake News, and the Children of God. False Teachers, Fake News, and the Children of God. I confess, if this is your first time joining us or uh, first time in a long time, uh, this is a, a heavier sermon. Today, as we get into the meat of the epistle of 1 John, it gets heavy. He gets heavy. So, Uh, Just buckle up, just buckle up, all right? Uh, We will see there is much for us here, but this is a passage of warning, Uh, and so it will be as such in the sermon. If you need food, there's even pizza back there, so I can go long. That's what that means, I can go long. You get a solid food and then you're in your belly. So uh, let me also make another confession, is I stand up here as a felon. You're a pastor. I'm a felon. You probably didn't know that. Not a convicted felon but I am a felon. See, let me explain. When I was in high school and I got my driver's license, shortly after that, uh, through an accident, I found that I had a keychain flashlight, LED, that by spinning it in circles while my friend would drive the car, we could effect traffic stops illegally and pull people over at nighttime, and we thought it was the most hilarious thing ever as we're driving behind people and I'm going like this with a flashlight and and they would then pull over as if we were police officers. Uh, I thought it was wonderful and I had no idea at how illegal it was, how wrong it was, and how foolish it was. Um, The Lord has a funny way of forecasting our lives, doesn't he? And uh, little did I know in about 10 years or so from that moment I would actually be a police officer effecting real traffic stops and learning the gravity of what I was doing. But it brought to light this reality that there are people who pretend to be something that they are not. And when this happens, dangerous circumstances can evolve. Legitimate pain can ensue. And those people, just as I was behind them pulling them over with a flashlight, pulled over, not knowing what was going on, it probably caused them some alarm, some fear, some stress, some confusion. It is no different, and the stakes are far higher when these are false teachers teaching things concerning the nature of God incorrectly. And today, we come to the portion of John's letter again, where he is addressing the issues of false teachers, false prophets. Now, what is the backdrop of this letter? You have to recall, John is writing a letter to a church that has endured what we would call today a church split. 
They, they're some, a significant group, uh, perhaps a, a really important group of people have departed from the church and were teaching false things about the nature of Christ, had false practices uh, in their life, immoral practices, that led the, those who remained to wonder whether they were on the right side. Right? Do we have it right? How do we know we're the ones who are right and they're wrong, or that we're not the ones who are wrong and they're actually right? Add to that the confusion that these were once people that they loved dearly. They worshipped with at some point. They counted as brothers in the Lord and maybe did ministry with, and now, now they are gone and considered unbelievers. You see the pain, the confusion, the hurt. So, so if, if these guys left and are not believers, what, what hope is there of us to even know that we might too not fall away? Or that how, how can we have any trust? And so John is writing into that type of thing. And, and in the letter, three tests emerge. Three tests of assurance emerge on how to know whether they, you, are truly believers and how to recognize false professors. And we have looked at three, these three tests several times now. The first one is the test of obedience. Do they obey the commands of God? Are they walking in the light, the, the test of obedience? The second one is the test of love. Are they in fellowship with God and fellowship with other believers? Do they love, not only in, in word or, or talk, but in deed and in truth? Do they genuinely love the people of God? It's the second test, the test of love. The third test is the test of doctrine. Do they believe right truth concerning God and Jesus? And John does something, and he's, he's repetitive. So John gives me justification to be repetitive as a pastor. John is repetitive. He repeats these themes over and over in his letter. And so this is now the third time, at least, that we are talking about the test of doctrine, the test of doctrine. And that is what we turn our eyes to today. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you as we sang, standing on the promises that cannot fail. Father, we come to you in truth. You are a God of all truth, and when you prayed, sanctify them in truth, you asked that we would, in effect, contend for the faith against false prophets and false teachers. And so would you bless us now as we endeavor to be faithful to the scriptures, to be faithful to the gospel? Would you help me as a pastor to speak lovingly with a heart for your flock, for your bride, so that they might be conformed truly more and more into the image of Christ? We ask these things in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. All right, I have two points, a very simple. Number one, the testing of the spirits. Number two, the triumph of the children of God. So number one, the testing of the spirits. We're going to spend the bulk of the time here in our sermon on this point, the testing of the spirits. And what we note in the very first word of chapter four, beloved, John strikes again. This, he's just very pastoral in his writing. He loves this church. He truly loves these people. He pleads with them over and over, calling them beloved children, my little children. 
These affectionate terms are heaped up one upon another with regularity. He loves the people for whom he writes. And he sees and notes that the concern of false teaching, the concern of false prophets, isn't merely to demonstrate ourselves as right or true or better than anybody else. The concern against false teachers is due to a simple reality. False prophets ruin lives. False prophets ruin lives. False teaching about God causes actual, not just spiritual harm, as if that We're not bad enough that we can't see it. That is actually eternally important, not just spiritual harm. It actually plays out in the physical world and causes real harm. Case in point, November 1978, Jim Jones led more than 900 people in South America, the country of Guyana, led more than 900 people to drink Kool-Aid laced with cyanide and so committed the largest mass murder of American civilians in U.S. history prior to 9-11. It's crazy. A false teacher. A false prophet. And had we described, if I took time to describe Jim Jones and his ministry, it would have probably sounded quite appealing today. He started it on a basis of equality for all, racial reconciliation, ministry care for the senior, orphans, poor, downcast, rejected of the society. And they were doing a lot of really good things. By all means, if you moved to town where he was pastor, you probably would have checked out his church. And yet, this was the end of his life, the end of his legacy. More than 300 of those people were children, some of whom were injected with the cyanide. All this to show false teaching, false prophets ruin lives. Ruin lives. This isn't a, 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 an intangible we're discussing this morning. It's not theoretical And John is pastorally concerned for this church that he loves as I am concerned for the people whom are under my charge and whose souls I will have to give an account for. And so he begins his his admonition with a negative and a positive command. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. What is he saying? John is at least admitting that every teaching you hear has a source. Do you believe that this morning? Every teaching you hear has a source. It is either heavenly from God or demonic. Those are the only two options. There is no such thing as neutral teaching. No such thing. Not in any area that you can think of. You either are coming from a God-centered worldview or you are coming from a worldly, a fallen worldview. The implications are massive. And John says, test the spirits to see whether they are from God. How come? He gives a reason. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is first century, John is saying. 
What do you think if the apostle were here today, if he had a Twitter account? What words might he have? If he had a Facebook account, what ought his reaction, or what do you think his reaction would be today? If it was many in his day, surely he would say it is in monumental proportions now, wouldn't he? It's worth asking the question, what is a false prophet? Right? Do not believe every spirit, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. What, what is a false prophet? It's quite simple. A prophet is somebody who speaks God's words to God's people. He speaks God's words to God's people. He is a, a type of go-between. Israel has had prophets since the time of Abraham. Abraham was called a prophet. The greatest Old Testament prophet was Moses. Moses. It's the greatest Old Testament prophet, unless you consider John the Baptist, and, and that's a little bit debated area where he falls in that pattern. But Jews would identify Moses as the greatest Old Testament prophet. And Israel, the nation, wrestled with prophets false prophets since the beginning. Let me give you a few passages of Scripture, all of which are relevant to us. Jeremiah 14, 14. The prophet Jeremiah 14, 14. The Lord said to me, that's Jeremiah, the prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I did not send them, nor did I command them or speak to them. They are prophesying to you a lying vision, worthless divination, and the, here it is, and the deceit of their own minds. You see what he's saying? He's saying their words are not my words. They are self-deceived in their own minds. What they think they are hearing from God is not from me. Matthew 7, 15. This is Jesus, Sermon on the Mount. Beware of false prophets. All right, so Jesus, hear the words of your Savior now, okay? This is our final revelation from God. And he says, beware. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. He says, be alert, be on guard. What this tells us is they're not going to come out and be like, good morning, I'm Randy Foley. I'm a false prophet. I'm the, the major false prophet on Maui, so uh, just be, be aware, okay? That's not what they're going to do. They're going to come, and they're going to look like sheep. They're going to smell like sheep. They're going to feel nice and fluffy and, and make you feel good to be around them, like they're one of you. And he says, inwardly, check their teeth. They're ravenous wolves. They're ravenous wolves. Matthew 24, 11 through 13 Jesus, again, the Olivet Discourse, talking about the end times, which John said, identified for us, are now. And many false prophets will arise. Many. There it is again. Many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. You see that? They're going to lead many astray. And note the connection between false prophets and the increase of lawlessness, which is a departure from the Word of God. That's going to be important when we get to our application section. Ezekiel 13, 1 through 3. The Word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the prophets of Israel who are prophesying, and say to those who prophesy from their own hearts, Hear the Word of the Lord. 
Thus says the Lord of God, Woe to the foolish prophets who follow their own spirit and have seen nothing. It is possible to have something in your mind, hear me, or somebody to have something in their mind that they falsely attribute as a message from God and then proclaim it as such. And it's very dangerous, beloved. It's very dangerous. This is the essence of false prophets. Now, it's also worth asking, what is the difference between a false prophet and a false teacher? What is the difference between a false prophet and a false teacher? A false prophet speaks false things on behalf of God or speaks falsely on behalf of God, while a false teacher teaches things that are false about God, maybe even using God's own words. You see, so a false prophet speaks falsely on behalf of God. He might say things that are true. That's what was happening in Jeremiah's day. He was saying, peace, peace. Now, those prophets could look back at the Aaronic blessing in Numbers chapter 6 and say, look, God said there is peace for Israel. The Lord bless you and keep you and cause His face to shine on you. They were saying something that was true, peace from God, at a wrong time when God pronounced judgment. You see? And saying God sent them to proclaim peace. And Jeremiah was saying, no. So we have to be very discerning. Discerning. It's not enough just because somebody quotes a Bible verse, even if that person is a pastor or public official. Somebody got that. False prophets and false teachers... Both are dangerous and condemned in the Scriptures. So how do we recognize him? How do we recognize him? John gives two tests. Two tests that are quite simple, but take practice to use. They're quite simple, but take practice to use. Number one, do they confess truth concerning Jesus? That comes in verses 2 and 3. Do they confess truth concerning Jesus? Verse 2, by this you know the Spirit of God Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist. Simple. Do they confess truth concerning Jesus? John Calvin said it like this, As Christ is the object at which faith aims, so he is the stone at which all heretics stumble. As Christ is the object at which faith aims, so he is also the stone at which all heretics stumble. This has always been a lightning rod. Who is Jesus? What do they preach concerning Jesus? Was he fully God? Was he fully man? Coexistent, co-eternal, with the Father, equal in divinity, distinct in person. There is a, a ripple effect that happens when we defect from any of these things. This defection can be concerning the person and nature of Jesus or the works of Jesus, namely his cross work, such that there are some who would proclaim, like our Roman Catholic neighbors, 
and confess that Jesus is God. They, they would hold confessionally. We would agree with these things, but they undermine his cross work by proclaiming his merits as insufficient apart from our works. You see, it's not just an issue of small disagreements. They are truly changing the nature of the cross work of Christ and thereby changing the mission of Christ and thereby changing the work of Christ. And we also must not think that errors concerning Jesus are the only things that we need to watch out for. They're not the only things that we need to watch out for. John is merely addressing an error that is plaguing this church. When we get to Revelation, he's going to address seven churches. And they all have a little bit different areas that need to be corrected. John would have us to be on guard against any departure from the essentials of the faith. Any departure from the essentials of the faith. So the, the first test, do they confess truth concerning Jesus? That's always still probably the main point. If you, if you have an issue with somebody, just... What do you believe about Jesus? What did he do? Who is he? Tell me what you believe about Jesus. Let's have a conversation, and that's going to tell me probably 90% of everything I need to know about this belief that you're, you're teaching. How is one saved? In, right, what, what is this role? Test number two. Here's a, the second test. What do they believe about Jesus? Second test. Does the world listen to them? Or... Do the people of God listen to them primarily? Does the world listen to them? Or do the people of God listen to them primarily? See, when God's people hear correction from God's word, they respond in submission to the word of God. So there's a difference between uh, spiritual deception and spiritual ignorance. Okay? Praise God. All right, praise God that just because we in our, in our childish part of the faith might have uttered things that were untrue about God, that we're not now false prophets being condemned to hell, right? Praise God, amen? There's a difference between spiritual ignorance and spiritual deception. Whenever the people of God hear correction from the Word of God, they listen. They hear the voice of their Savior in the Word of God and follow. An example of this would be Apollos in the book of Acts when he was corrected by Priscilla and Aquila. He taught truth concerning God, but it, it wasn't complete. And when, when Priscilla and Aquila brought him to the side and they, they reasoned with him from the Scriptures, he saw that as true and he followed. This is a pattern for all the people of God. So another way you could ask it is, do they listen and joyfully receive apostolic instruction? Do they listen and joyfully receive apostolic instruction, the word given from God through Christ to his apostles, inspired by the Spirit, re recorded for us and preserved down to this day, the apostolic instruction. Do they receive it joyfully? If not, if they do not, then they are false prophets and false teachers. Simple. Simple, right? So if you find a message that the world longs for and affirms in these people, a message of self-fulfillment, a message of self-love, self-actualization, extreme acceptance and tolerance with no, need, no sin, no need of repentance, if those types of things are present, be cautious. Be cautious. All right, let's get practical. All right, we, we built the framework. Now we're going to get practical. 
Now, my first go-around with John, I addressed threats that are generally outside the church, like Mormonism, the cults, Jehovah's Witness, uh, Muslims, Islam, um, Israel, Judaism, things like that, that type of pluralistic types of things that, that we all know are false teaching, or most of us, I hope, think would recognize as false teaching. So this morning, I want to join with John in leveling my admonition to the flock. I'm a little nervous about this, a little nervous, because I, I want to have, I want my sermon to have the same impact on you that John's letter would have had on his audience. So I'm a little nervous. I will try to speak with grace and love, but at the same time, I must speak God's word in hopes that maybe I might turn some of you from a pattern of not being on alarm or not being alert, and thereby save your souls or the souls of those who are around you. All right, here we go. The first area of concern is regarding recent popular books that contain false prophets or teachers whom you should likely avoid or be more discerning about in the future because the dangers are greater than the benefit. The recent popular books among Christians that you could survey the top 10 of, uh, of any number of, of Christian book distributors would show you at least half of them have some really questionable things, to say the least. Before I read this list of books, I want you to remember the scriptures we referred to. Okay, Remember the scriptures that we referred to, Ezekiel, Matthew? They, they prophesy things in their own mind and claim it comes from God and the connection between false prophets and a departure or an increase in lawlessness, which is a departure from God's revealed word, will for his people. Okay? Keep all that in mind. These types of books include The Shack by William Young, Your Best Life Now by Joel Osteen, Jesus Calling by Sarah Young, all of the heaven, heaven tourism genres, uh, 90 Minutes in Heaven by Don Piper. Uh, what's the other one by the boy? Uh, heaven is for real by the young boy, or the poor guy who didn't get the heaven tour, he got the hell tour, 23 minutes in heaven, or in hell, sorry, uh, all those guys, like that guy, if I'm like that guy, like, man, could I have gotten the heaven tour? Why did I go to hell, right? All of these types of things, I've been given three of these books by well-meaning Christians, praise God, none from this church, as gifts, and I could not stomach reading them, and if you give me a book, I normally try to read it. If you read any of these books and thought or think or saw the movies that they were amazing, I'm sorry, they're full of false teaching and not just minor points of contention, but major breaches of doctrine. For instance, one of them says that Jesus is not the only way, but that he's the best way. You see, you see the, the subtle shift of language. If you thought any of these were great, or are great, they are full of dangerous doctrine. And I have a word of encouragement, because I'm sure there are some in here who probably love those things and read them. I would encourage you, you need to grow. That just shows an area that you need to grow. Hebrews 5.14, and having the powers of your discernment trained to distinguish evil from good by practicing. 
Don't be discouraged if you're like, man, I thought that was great, and now you're saying that's, that's not good. Don't be discouraged, all right? That just shows an area that we can grow, and the only way you tro- and having, and grow in having the powers of your discernment uh, increased is through practice. Just practice. That means you're going to get a few of them not right, all right? So there's grace. I'm going to give you an excerpt from one. I'm not going to tell you which one, but it's the premise for the whole book, and it's very dangerous. I quote, I knew that God communicated with me through the Bible, but I yearned for more. Did you get that? Slick. I knew that God communicated with me through the Bible, but I yearned for more. Increasingly, I wanted to hear what God had to say to me personally on a given day. I decided to listen with pen in hand, writing down whatever I heard in my mind. There's a lot wrong with that statement. There's a lot wrong with that statement. The most concerning being they wanted to hear God apart from the Bible. Remember, I waited for whatever came to my mind. That is no sign that what comes to your mind is from God. And they wanted to hear from God apart from the Bible. Remember, the increase of lawlessness tied to those who come away from the Word of God. Beloved, anytime you hear that in an author or a pastor, you better run. You better run because you are bound to hear something that is not from God. That is not from God. Test the spirits, beloved. Test them see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. So, popular books. I could go on and on. There's just, there's just so many books, but those are popular ones that, that I've been given as gifts from, from good people and um, test of spirits. Second area. This is actually more controversial than that area, all right? This is going to hit every one of you in here, more than likely. Uh, okay, maybe not every one of you, maybe 90%, I don't know. I just made up that statistic. Fake news. Um, it's just going to be it's going to be controversial, but considering it's Graduate Sunday, it's appropriate. I'm going to ask you to hear me out. Hear me out. This one who loves you. Uh, it's bound to make you uncomfortable, uh, but it's also likely the largest Trojan horse of false teaching in the church at large, the faithful church in America at large, that goes almost totally unnoticed or undiscussed. So hear me out to the end, okay? Let me start with a question. It's VBS time in the summer. A lot of churches have VBS. VBS is a great thing. We have a VBS. If you have children, send them. It'd be great. We love them. Let me ask you this, believers. For one week in the summer, five days, four hours a day, 8 to 12, 20 hours in one week of the whole year, would you send your children to the VBS hosted at the Mormon temple. That's not really enough time for them to be indoctrinated with anything vile or terrible, would you? Most of you are shaking your head no. By the way, I'm not about to talk about VBS, all right? So those who are like, whew, no, I'm not going to talk. I'm just using that as a starting point. Most of us would say no, rightly so. Or you might hesitate and think through it at the least. Uh, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Rightly so. 
Why? Well, because we would be exposing our children intentionally to false teachers to, at the very least, let their guard down around these people and think that they're doing something that's good when they're really not in this context. Right, I would agree. Here we go, you ready? I'm just going to look at my notes. (laughs) Yet, how many of us freely send our children to an institution that is just as, if not more, anti-Christian than that five days a week for the majority of the year by sending our children to public schools to receive what can only be described as an anti-Christian, godless education? Beloved, there is no such thing as neutral teaching. There is no such thing as neutral teaching. The institutions at large deny the supernatural, deny that Jesus is God, champion all manner of wickedness as morality, and erode the very foundation of familial authority that is vital to the health of a family. Using the the, the grid of 1 John 4, they deny that Jesus has come in the flesh. Another term we could say is we send our children to schools to be taught and have their minds formed by false prophets. That's another way we could say it. We entrust our minds, our children's minds, to these false prophets, and your child will or has, graduation, received 14,000 hours instructional hours in the wisdom of the world, 14,000. They consider, they say it takes about 10,000, give or take, hours to become an expert in anything. Your child will receive 14,000 hours and instructional hours in the wisdom of the world. You know, you would need to send them to church for two hours a week for the next 140 years to receive that much instruction. Is it any wonder, then, that the hearts of our children are cold to the things of God? Is it any wonder that they are dull to the things of God when their entire education is designed to strip the wonder of God out of every aspect of creation and history? Stick with me till the end. Stick with me till the end, all right? And then we fret and worry and grieve as our children in droves walk away from the faith when we send them to godless colleges and universities wondering, where did we go wrong? Beloved, we cannot pretend that how we educate our children has no bearing on their spiritual lives. We cannot give them 14,000 instructional hours and act like that will not shape their capacity for God. Now, I understand the tendency. I went to public school, okay? I grew up, I went to public school. So you may say, I went to public school, I'm fine. Look, I'm following Jesus, you're following Jesus. Look, think of your friends. How many of your friends in public school are following God now? I think of mine, abysmal the numbers that, were, that grew up in church and are walking with the Lord still. Now hear me out, I'm not telling you what educational choice you need to make for your family. Don't hear me saying that. I'm sounding the alarm 
that you need to consider it. I don't believe there is any one educational uh, path that is right for any, every family, okay? Every family dynamic, I'm not saying that. Don't, don't hear me say you need to do what I do or whatever. Don't hear me say that. I'm just saying we must wrestle with the fact that 14,000 instructional hours of godlessness will be impacting our, our children's lives. And you need to have whatever educational choices you make. You need to have a strategy, parents. You need to have a strategy for how you're going to impact that, how you're going to overcome that, because it's not going to happen without great intentionality. It's not going to happen without great intentionality. So if you choose to send your child to public education, doesn't mean you're evil, doesn't mean you're wicked. I'm not saying that. I'm urging you to be very, very diligent to teach your children the things of God then at home. You have to. And coming to church one day a week for two hours isn't going to cut it. It's not going to cut it. You have got to be diligent in family worship. Deuteronomy 6, from the rising of the sun to its setting, to tell your children about the things of God, to interpret for them the things that they are seeing and hearing and experiencing. If you're going to go to a public university in the fall, graduates, where are my graduates? Raise your hands. I want to see. Your hands aren't very high. Oh, there you go. Okay, okay. There we go. All right. If you're going to a public university in the fall, please realize this. There is no such thing as neutral truth. Amen. It's not as if your professors that you're going to hear in your world religions class are going to teach some sort of uh, just standalone truth that is, is truth by all means. They're, they're teaching uh, from a, a worldview that impacts how they see life and read evidence and interpret reality. Be on guard. Be on guard. Make it a point, if you are graduating, to train your mind. Realize you have received, if you went to public school, you have received 14,000 instructional hours in the world's wisdom. Make it a point to give your mind to God. Chris's passage that he closed with was perfect. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. There are concepts and ideas in your brain right now that you will not even know how they have been impacted by the worldly wisdom you've been in until later in life. Your concepts of marriage, sexuality, relationships, authority, all of these things have been formed and are operating in the background of your life, and you don't even know it yet. You'll find out later. Give yourself, give your mind, if you're in college, you're going to college, to be trained in the things of God. Find a good local church with believers who will point you to the Bible and make that your first priority. If you have to fail a term, a midterm, because you have to go to church to, to be disciplined in godliness, do it. It's worth it. It's worth it. What does it profit a man if he gains every degree in the world and loses his own soul? Maybe even consider going elsewhere. Does your field have a Christian alternative, a Christian college that offers that same thing from a Christian worldview? It's worth researching if you haven't. Early childhood education, there's a lot of good accredited Christian colleges that you can go to and receive that from a biblical worldview. 
psychology, biblical counseling, whatever it is, consider, do the research. I want to say a word of encouragement to those who have sent their child to a public school. You do find yourself in the scenario, heartbroken with your child walking away from the faith in college, now maybe feeling convicted, condemned. I want to encourage you, don't give up hope. Don't give up hope. God has and can work through any occasion, any situation, and draw your child back to faith in God. I take the most comfort from knowing that my parental decisions in my children's lives are not the primary decisive factor in their salvation. Praise God. Amen? That gives me great hope. At the end of the day, we try our best, we pray, we trust God for their souls, and He can save them. He can save them. Let me wrap up this section here with a quote from John Wesley. On this matter, John Wesley, famous Methodist minister. I quote, I ask then, for what end do you send your children to school? Why? That they may be fit to live in the world. In which world do you mean, this world or the next? Perhaps you thought of this world only and had forgot that there is a world to come, yea, and one that will last forever. Pray, take this into your account, and send them to such masters as will keep it always before their eyes. Close quote. Beloved, in your reading, in your schooling, in your education, do not believe every spirit. Test them. Test them. Point number two, the triumph of the children of God. We're almost done. The triumph of the children of God. Verse four. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is greater than you, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Amen. Amen. If you were to just flip over to chapter 3, verse 20, notice the same parallel. Whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts, and He knows everything. And then back down to chapter 4, verse 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So there's, there's multiple aspects at which we stake our hope on the greatness, the power, the majesty of God. God is, when my heart condemns me for my failures, God is greater than my heart. He's greater than my heart. And when we look at the world, it can be discouraging. It can be discouraging. I just see these books come out again and again, or, or our minds given to some form of false teaching or another. It can be discouraging. So what is the source? What is the, the guarantee of our victory? Greater is he, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Greater. Ultimately, our comforts, ultimately, our victory is in the victory of God, wrought at the cross of Christ and the resurrection of Christ in his present reign now and forevermore. God is greater than our hearts and is greater than the world, and he can overcome all.
Let's pray.